when Christ is not yet born, we stand in the echo of the prophets, holding on to the rumour of God. The incarnation holds a promise for all the earth, and we long for its fulfilment. When Christ is not yet born, we stand in the echo of the prophets. Depending on the naming of love, that Emmanuel holds a word for all the earth, and we yearn for its pronouncement. When Christ is not yet born, we stand in the echo of the prophets, believing in the conspiracy of grace, that birth brings with it a hope, a hope for all the earth, and we ache for its revelation. When Christ is not yet born, we stand in the echo of prophets, waiting for the labouring of heaven, for the word to become flesh, in both us and our community, and we crave that moment now. Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name's Stuart and I get to be the minister here. We're glad that you could join us from wherever you find yourself today. We want you to know that you are welcome and that you are loved. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, then please pop over to our website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk or you can find us on Facebook at St Ninian's Church Stonehouse. Don't forget, if you find these videos helpful, then please do like and subscribe so that you won't miss any more in the future. Today, we listen to readings from the prophet Isaiah and from Matthew. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 to 25 Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he'd resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfil what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. Isn't it inconvenient when God shows up? I'm pretty sure that Joseph thought so. But then it's always been inconvenient. 
and more than a little unexpected. Did you notice that our reading today started at verse 18 of Matthew? The first 17 verses of Matthew's Gospel, and therefore the first 17 verses of the New Testament, is a genealogy, a family tree, a list of Joseph's ancestors stretching all the way back to Abraham. And in many ways that's entirely unremarkable. We still do the same thing today. Sites like Ancestry.com are big business. We love programmes like Who Do You Think You Are? And you can even buy a DNA kit to find out where your genes come from. We, well actually some of you, talk about people by their maiden name, or by who their parents were, or who they are married to. It places them in a context. Oh aye, that's Jimmy's lassie. It's a connection that opens up a rich social history of who someone's people are, and how we might be connected to them. It turns out that Joseph's people are, well, how would you put it kindly, colourful. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar? Tamar had married Judah's oldest son, Er, who was killed because of his wickedness. So she was supposed to be given to one of the younger sons, but wasn't because Judah thought she was cursed. So Tamar left and by chance heard that Judah was coming to a village, so she pretended to be a prostitute and Judah got her pregnant. Like I said, colourful. And that was before we get to King David, whose son Solomon was the result of an affair that David had with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. More colourful. But actually, in many ways, very ordinary. These things happen all the time. We all have some less than conventional bits in our family trees. And what's remarkable about Matthew's telling of Joseph's family tree is that there is very little to be proud of. Sure, there are a long list of famous names, but they all have their stuff that other people might have airbrushed out of the story. But in this story, they are on show for the whole world to see. 14 generations before the exile in Babylon and 14 after. The bit in the exile wasn't counted because, well, when people returned, nobody could be certain if the children were theirs, well, because of the behaviour of soldiers and slave masters. And so the line of kings had been broken in the exile. Herod wasn't even of royal blood, he was just a soldier who pleased the Romans and had been given the crown. As we've journeyed through Advent, we have looked ahead in Matthew's Gospel, usually asking the question, who is this Jesus? And what does that mean for us? Usually through the eyes of John the Baptist. This lineage though means that Jesus could be the one, because the Messiah will come from the line of David. His family tree is a pretty stark reminder that God can use all kinds of people and relationships that fall outside what we might think of as straightforward or desirable. But it's not just about who is in the family tree, it's also about how many. 28 generations, 2 groups of 14 or 4 groups of 7. And we've spoken before about that important number 7. The number of days that God created the world in. Joseph is the seventh generation of the fourth group. And we know that the eighth day is the day of resurrection, the first day of a new creation, and the eighth generation is Jesus. And that's before we even get to, and now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. This way. The same as all of Joseph's relatives' way. Okay. 
The word we translate as birth is actually the word Genesis. Now the Genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. And that means that this Jesus goes back way further than a family tree. Back to the beginning. The beginning of all things. So Matthew's version of the story goes like this. A man called Joseph, who had some seriously dodgy ancestors, he's engaged to be married to a woman called Mary. And Mary is with child, and it isn't Joseph's. Just as it was in the beginning, at the start of all things, out of nothing God creates. Through the Holy Spirit, life is created. But God's creation causes a bit of a crisis for Joseph because he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what's going on. And he obviously thinks the worst of his fiancée. If other people find out she's pregnant, she'll be stoned. So Joseph's plans to send her off without a fuss. Well, that's a good thing. And if you think that's harsh, it's not so very long ago that women here who became pregnant before they were married were shipped off to asylums. Matthew tells us hardly anything about Joseph. But he does say that he was a righteous man. And because Joseph is a righteous man, he was going to try to do the right thing and send Mary away quietly. He could have made a fuss. But then God shows up. How inconvenient. Before Joseph can get all righteous, an angel appears in a dream. And when he wakes up, Joseph does something unusual. He changes his mind. He does something different, something unexpected. In many ways, that's the most miraculous part of the story. Joseph changes his mind. We might call it repenting, rethinking. He doesn't wake up, stretch and yawn and wonder what on earth that dream was about. He wakes up, sure that he had encountered an angel, a messenger from God, who had news about the parentage of Mary's baby. The baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So Joseph does three more remarkable things. Firstly, he accepts the news. Secondly, he believes that it's God. And thirdly, based on his acceptance and belief, he acts. He doesn't send Mary away. Instead, Joseph marries Mary and he names the child Jesus, which means that he will save us from his sins, just as he was instructed. Joseph has taken on the boy, God's son, as his son. All of Joseph's hopes and dreams, all his expectations and plans, they've gone. Vanished in a moment of discovery and confirmed by another moment of revelation. His future has been replaced by a whole new set of uncertainties and unknowns. Joseph, the stepfather of God. What does that even look like? How on earth are you supposed to be a dad to that child, to God's child? But without Joseph, the whole thing would fail. Without his change of heart, his willingness to do what God asked, even when it seemed that God was asking the unusual or even the impossible, it just wouldn't have happened. Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus is so lacking in fuss, and yet in some ways that makes it all the more remarkable. There's no census, no journey to Bethlehem, they already live there. There are no innkeepers or donkeys or even a stable. There are no shepherds and no choirs of angels. I wonder if Matthew thought all of that was a distraction. Not what matters. A birth is such a common everyday miracle. 
So much so that I think we mostly forget how miraculous the birth of a child is. The creation of life is. We have now reading from Isaiah that in the middle of a complete and utter disaster, when an army is about to invade the kingdom and it's all about to be destroyed, God's sign to Ahaz the king is the birth of a child, a baby. Okay, how's that helpful? What kind of sign is that? But the baby is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a reminder that God is with us, even in the middle of all our disobedience and wrongdoing, all the stuff that the Bible calls sinfulness. God is still there, there with them. The angel tells Joseph that Jesus, whose name means God with us, will save us from our sins. But how does that work? Well, sin is just the stuff that separates us from God. The thing that puts distance between us and God. And what better way to sort that out than for God to come close to us, to move into the neighbourhood, to be here with us? What does that look like? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and the poor, they have good news brought to them. That's the miracle. That's the sign we needed, God with us. And for Matthew, that seems to be exactly the point. How else would the God who created all of life show up? What other way could the genesis of Jesus take place? There could be no other way. No other way for the promise to be kept. No other way for the dream to be realised. No other way than for the word to become flesh. There could be no more appropriate way than for God to be born in the pain and anguish of the labour of a young woman, watched over by a man who had been cut out of the process and yet still promised to do his part. His part to raise a boy who would save the world. A boy who would one day be nailed to a cross with a mocking sign declaring him King of the Jews. A truth that Matthew tells us right at the beginning. Here is David's ancestor. He is Emmanuel. God is with us.
God, in this season when families are centre stage, when family gatherings are missed, look forward to and dreaded in equal measure, when family services and church draw some of us in and keep others firmly away, we give thanks for the robust realism of the biblical story when it describes the families from which Jesus was descended and the one into which he was born. There were faithful women and philandering men, devious women and honourable men. There was treachery and deceit in his family, as well as courage and kindness, just as there are in each of ours. And the family of God's people then was just as much a mixture as the church is now and always will be. We may not be afraid to be real in our telling of the old stories and especially not in our prayers for those for whom Christmas is not the happy family time that everyone seems to expect it to be. We pray for those who will be alone at Christmas and for those who wish they could be. For women who hide their bruises and their tears and men who keep their upper lip from trembling for the sake of children who always know more than the adults think they do. God who meets us in Christ with good news for a world such as this one, may we who call ourselves his friends be as real as he was so that our celebrations are genuine, our hope is firmly grounded and our joy is deep and true. Amen. Hush now. The waiting is soon, the longing is great, the moment is near. The promise revealing the baby quickening, the starlight gathering. But not yet. Not yet. Go and whisper the hope of this story into the noise of the world and, and come back soon. For the incarnation is near. But go now with the blessing of God. The God who is with us. God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, with us all, now and always. Food Bank meets every Sunday at St Irene's Church from 1pm until 2.30pm. Your donations, as always, are very gratefully received. And our Advent Bible study will begin on Thursday the 1st of December and every Thursday thereafter in December from 7.30. And that's going to be on Zoom. The meeting ID and passcode are on your screen now or are available on the website. Our Christian Aid concert is back on the 18th of December, groups from around the village will entertain us and we'll all get to sing some Christmas carols together. Santa might even pay us a visit and that's from 6.30pm on Sunday the 18th of December. 
raising funds for the fantastic charity that is Christian Aid. And our Santa's bedtime story is back on the 23rd of December at half past six. Santa's going to pop in. He's very busy, but he's going to spare us some time. He's going to come and tell the little ones a story. There'll also be some cookies and hot chocolate and stuff like that after the story in the hall. And of course, our watch night and family Christmas Eve services will be on the 24th of December. Next Sunday is Christmas Day and you are very welcome to come and join us at St Ninian's at 10am. So that's a slightly earlier service time of 10am on Christmas Day. And of course, our worship will be available online as video and podcast and on the telephone. You are more than welcome to join us to celebrate the birth of Jesus.